If you've got your Bible, go to Acts 5. We're jumping back into the book of Acts. We kind of split it up with the relationship series, but starting today in verse 12. Acts 5, 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. I love this next verse. Even though no one dared to join them, verse 14 says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on their beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Very interesting verse because Jesus said, you'll do greater works than I did. Jesus, when he was on the earth, apparently you need, if you just touched him, you would touch the hem of his garment and you would get healed. But you had to make physical contact. Apparently it had progressed to the point now where they didn't even have to touch Peter's garment. They could just get in his shadow and they'd get healed. I'd call that greater works than these. Crowds, it says, gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is really the turning point of the book of Acts, because up until now, this has been a movement that has been relegated to the city of Jerusalem. But you may remember that in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is now the first time this Spirit is breaking outside of the city of Jerusalem. The reason this is important to you is that you need to know the Holy Spirit is not relegated to just Jesus. It's not relegated to one city. It's not relegated to one place. It's not relegated to the book of Acts. It is anywhere, anytime, any place, anybody will believe him that he keeps his word and does it. Amen? Then the high priest and all the associates that were with him were members of the party of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the doors of the jail were opened. They brought them out. They said, go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent the jail to the jail for the apostles. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, was so, was, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. I want to preach about this. If it's God, you can't stop it. If it's God, it may look improbable, it may look impossible, it may look unlikely, but if it's God, you, a government, opposition, a sickness, a spirit, a trial, 
nothing can stop it. If it's God, you can't stop it. Let's pray. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five. Have a seat. Say, if it's God, you can't stop it. I was reading the Bible one day with my kids, and we got to that place of, hey, what should we do about this? Should we follow this? Jesus said, come follow me, and we are a church that wants to follow Jesus. And I said, kids, you know, what do you think about this? To which one of them said, you know, Dad, of course that happened for Jesus. He's the Lord. Of course all that stuff was taking place. Jesus is the Lord. And you kind of get a little bit of a pass or an excuse when you're reading the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because Jesus is the Lord. What I love about the book of Acts, whereas where we are now going to be kind of going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, what I love about Acts is that Acts is ordinary people. It's not the Lord, not God in the flesh. How many of you were not born in a manger to a virgin? Anyone in this room not born in a manger to a virgin? How many of you have sinned at least once in your life, unlike the Son of God himself? All right. What I like about the book of Acts is that God is now turning the world upside down through Ordinary people, low potential people, unworthy, unqualified, don't have any business being used by God kind of people. The mission of our church at Greenhouse is to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We help ordinary people, not extraordinary people. We help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. We've had people even ask us about the mission statement when they've gone through the Activate class. I said, hey, isn't that a little, uh, I don't know, aren't we setting the bar low to say we're, we're just looking for ordinary people? What if there's people that aren't ordinary? Well, friend, number one, you are. And number two, that's what Jesus loves to use. He loves to use the ordinary. You might be physically ordinary or mentally ordinary. Maybe your IQ is too low and your emotions run too high and your temper is, you got the temper of a German or a Swiss or a, or a Puerto Rican. Or who, everyone, I think everyone has, everyone's got, my wife is, does not have a temper, but I feel like I'm about to preach myself into trouble. Let me preach by Jesus. Preach me out of trouble right now. What I love about the book of Acts is it's ordinary people. It's people that have failed and failed and failed and failed, and then they believe God. And God doesn't need perfect. All he asks for is belief. All he asks for is trust. And you might say, I don't even have a lot. You don't need a lot. You need a little. If it's God, you can't stop it. And what happens in the book of Acts is the opening chapters are like a youth camp. God just shows up. It's like a breakthrough weekend. When we do breakthrough weekends, you're on a, on a high. There's this spiritual high. Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. It's all highlight reels. When we get to Acts 5, now the real world is kicking in. We had just gotten through the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, it's the, it's the beautiful thing about the book of Acts, because if you were going to the book, of, I always hear people say, I want to be in a book of Acts church. And I'm always interested, what do you mean by that? They're like, I want to be at a church like the book of Acts because the book of Acts seems perfect until you get to like Acts chapter five. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but, but people can seem really good until you get to know them. By the way, even this is how it goes with churches as well. Just to be super clear, if you're new to our church and you love our church, if you're still loving it, you're only in probably, you know, Greenhouse chapter four. Get to Greenhouse chapter five. And you're going to start getting to some Ananias and Sapphira episodes. And you just got to deal with the fact that in the, in the real world, it's ordinary people that God uses that mess up. They blow it. They fail. They will fail you. The only one that doesn't, there's only enough room for one hero in this kingdom and his name is Jesus. 
Amen? So in Acts 5 now, it's the real world where the real world's kicking in and we're watching how this movement, it's what we talked about an awakening that began in the first part of the book of Acts that we did. We're now talking about a movement. The, the awakening is now turning into a movement. And the movement now needs to be played out in the real world where people have jobs and kids that don't sleep at night and, and, and spouses that, that don't look like they did on their wedding day and jobs that have lost their luster and, and hope that can grow dim. Now we've got the movement that's, that's a kingdom that takes root in the real world. And it's a movement of ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they believe if it's God, you can't stop it. In fact, this is the whole sermon today, friends. If it's God, you can't stop it. However, here's the bad news, you can't miss it. If it's God, you can't stop it, but you can't miss it. That's all I want to say today, so let's start. If it's God, you can't stop it. When we're reading this chapter, we, we see God moving. The apostles are doing many signs and wonders. They're bringing the, the sick before them. This is literally the playing out of where Jesus said in the book of Matthew, you, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see sickness right here in, what is it, verse 15, sickness pops up. Is it in, in verse 15, they laid the sick. Sickness was not strong enough to stop what Jesus was doing. We see in verse 16, there were impure spirits. In verse 18, there was a persecution that was coming. I, I just want to point out, when God is in it, nothing can stop it. There is nothing that can stop the move of God, that when God is on the move, there, if it's God, you can't stop it. If it's God, your boss can't stop it. If it's God, your enemies can't stop it. Your haters can't stop it. Sickness can't stop it. There is nothing that can stop it if it's God. I even love the fact that they get thrown into jail. And when they get thrown into jail, it says, God sent an angel in the night. An angel of the Lord appeared to the door, at the doors of the jail, brought them out. And by the way, let me just do a little quick supernatural timeout. I want to totally recognize, if you're kind of new to Christianity or something, I totally get that what I'm, what I'm reading and what I'm about to explain sounds ridiculous. I totally acknowledge that. I totally get that. What I'm letting you know is the scriptures teach that there are realities that you cannot see with your eyes. There are things that you're not even aware of that are real. Just, just take angels, okay? There actually is such a thing as angels. And by the way, I appreciate it. Sometimes someone's grandmother dies and they go to heaven and we're like, oh, well, she'll, now I've got an angel in heaven. Hey, the, the good news is if your grandma knew Jesus, she's in heaven. She doesn't become an angel. She's one of God's children. The, the better news is that God has angels that have been around. Your grandma's been around for 80 years. Angels have been around for thousands of years. You, the Bible says God assigns angels to protect his people. You have bodyguards that have thousands of years of experience. Do, do you understand that many of you, many of you are in a room right now. There are angels that you cannot see. Now, now listen, all the glory to Jesus. We don't worship angels. We don't, I don't pray to angels. I thank God for angels. There are realities that you cannot see. I find it fascinating that, see, if it's God, you can't stop it. The, the scriptures even seem to insinuate that about a third of the, of the angels of heaven rebelled against God and became demons and, or unclean spirits in some way, and that Lucifer was an angel that led a rebellion against God, and, and this went off with, the scripture says about one, well, if one third of the angels rebelled, guess what 
happened to the other two-thirds. They didn't. So if you've ever even been afraid, well, wait a minute, Mike, I think there's a lot of demons out there. There are, but whatever there are, I tend to recognize there's probably twice as many angels as demons, number one. And then number two, if you've got no other wild card to play, here it is. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You've got everything you need in Jesus. If it's God, you can't stop it. I was listening to Jack Hayford preach one day, and he was describing some missionaries. They're out in some bush country, and, and they were running from pursuers that wanted to kill them, and they're running through this very narrow path of, of bush on one side and bush on the other, and they're running, and there was a man in the middle of this very narrow pathway, and he says, come, we'll just step right over here, and he just kind of pulls them into the side here as, as the pursuers that were just a few seconds behind them run right past them in plain view. They should have been in plain sight, and they just ran right past and, and to their amazement, the pursuers just walked past them and ran past them. They waited for a few minutes. Their hearts are racing. Their adrenaline is rushing. They step out. They look. The pursuers are gone. And the man that was sitting right next to them was as well. And that's when they realized that was not just a man. That was an angel. The book of Hebrews says... Watch how you're living because sometimes you're actually entertaining angels and you didn't know it was angels. You thought it was just a lady at the office. You thought it was just a homeless guy on the street. You thought it was a single mom in the church. You thought it was just something, something. And it was an angel from heaven that was sent by God. Do you understand, do you understand that on the day that you die and go to heaven, if you've, you want to talk about a great day, do you understand when you get to heaven and you see God and you see the video of your life, how many episodes you will look back and realize that God saved your backside more times than you can possibly count, that you probably know one one hundredth of all of the time that God saved your life? How many accidents, all those times, like, man, that was, what a coincidence. What a strange series of occurrences. Friends, can we just stop for a second to give glory to God for all the things we don't even know about? Thank you, Jesus. I mean, I think I'm going to watch videos and be like, glory to God. Oh, that's all. Oh, oh, oh. Man, friends, all I got to tell you is angels have been earning their money. I don't know how they get paid. I thank God. I thank God. And some of you have been in prisons. Do you understand? God, how many times has God bailed you out of things with realities that you know not about? Whether it's not by might, not by power, by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might, not by power, by my angels, by my power, by my word. Friends, do you understand that God moves for you even when you don't see it? Even when you don't deserve it? Even when you are not aware of it? If it's God, you can't stop it. The, the, friends, the, the problem, the, the biggest problem we have is we, we, have, we have shrunk our God. Like, we think he can do this when, when he, can, he can do so. He, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think or imagine according to the power that works in us. This is why, this is why Gamaliel would say it's foolish for you to fight against God. See, David does not beat Goliath because David has courage. David beats Goliath because David sees things clearly. Goliath was four feet bigger than David. God is infinitely bigger than Goliath. 
See, see, here's the catch. When, when, we, when, we, when we're preaching ourselves up into, hey guys, let's go be like David. Let's go be super courageous. The message of David and Goliath is not, why can't you be more courageous like your brother David? The message is actually, why can't you open your eyes and see that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? When the prophet Elisha goes to a king and the king is freaking out and scared because there are these armies and the prophet Elijah comes and says, why are you still afraid? And then he pauses and he prays. He says, God, open his eyes that he can see there are armies on the earth that are against him, but open his eyes to see the angelic armies of heaven that are against them. Greater is he. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, open the eyes of our hearts to see the greatness of your power toward those who believe you and trust you. Someone today needs deliverance from their fears. God, let them hear like a prophecy. Fret not yourself. In the name of Jesus, be not afraid. The Lord is with you. Amen. Amen. I, I, I love, this is why some of the, I, I appreciate the new songs, but some of the old hymns. Let, let me read you some of the, the poets of old. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. How about glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God? He whose word cannot be broken formed you for his abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake your sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, you may smile at all your foes. Some of you say that's too old school. Let me give you some new school. This is KB. Got a lot of money, got a lot of clothes. Everybody know you? Everywhere you go, you be getting praises all across the globe. But no, they ain't got no angels praising them. They ain't the man. <laughs> that was my song on the way to church this morning. I'm like, I'm going to preach that. KB's God. He's like, whoa, whoa, oh, you got these billionaires. They think there's something. You got these people of power. They think there's something. He's like, no, 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 no. Angels aren't praising. There's no angel looking at a billionaire like, whoa, look at his billions. He's like, well, no, no. The, all, the angels only praise one because there's only one name that's worthy of all the glory. There's only one name that's worthy of all the honor. There's only one name that makes the demons tremble. There's only one name that's enough to put a family back together. And that is the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Friends, lift up your vision. Remember how big your God is. See, if it's God, you can't stop it. This is why it says in Psalm 136, to him alone who does great wonders for his loving kindness endures forever. Ephesians 3, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above more than we can ask or think. See, if it's God, you can't stop it. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. But you can't miss it. You ever look back on a moment and realize you missed your window of opportunity? Don't you hate that? It's like, ah. 
I heard a preacher talking about his brother had tried to get him to invest. I can't believe, remember if it was Tesla stock or Apple stock or something. And he put like a hundred bucks in it and his hundred turned into 300. He took it out real quick because he wanted to take his gains. And, and he realized if he just would have left his money and it would now be worth like $327,000 or something. He's like, oh, I missed my shot. I missed my shot. See, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can miss it. I was talking to somebody in, from our church that had formerly been really plugged in. They were in a microchurch. They, they were in church regularly, and, and they would feel God's presence. They would go to microchurch. And a lot of times in a microchurch, you'll have people just saying, like, hey, man, can we pray? And they'll, someone prays for somebody else. And, and it's really weird how you could be in the middle of a very normal, ordinary prayer, and God shows up. It's weird how someone just says, hey, y'all pray for me. I'm just, I'm just having a hard time in, in school. I'm having a hard time in my, I, don't, I think about losing my scholarship. or I feel like my marriage is, is just, I, I, y'all just pray for my marriage. And it is weird how someone who knows nothing will have words pop into their brain that comes out of their mouth. And someone sits there and they have felt like they're in the valley of despair. And then God shows up in a holy moment, and they sit there, and they're like, God, how did you know? And I've, I've actually heard people, like, I've been, been in situations where I saw someone praying, and they wanted to stay safe, and they didn't want to disclose very much, and someone prayed enough to make it clear that there's no way this person could have known, but God knew, and it's like a word of knowledge where they know that, that God knows, and, and they show up, but, but yet God doesn't unveil them because God never shames us. And, and if you've ever been in one of those spots where it's like God lets you know, like, I got you, I'm with you, I'm covering you, I see you, and I'm protecting you, and I'm a fortress, and I'm your shield, and I'm your rock, and, and their breath is taken away, they're like, God, how great is our God? Do, do you know how many times you've been in a room like that, and you thought it was just y'all? You thought there were 12 of you in a microchurch, and there was 12 humans and 12 angels, <laughs> gathered. Do you understand how often you've been in a place that felt natural? And it was so much more than natural. Listen, I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to be like Clark Griswold on National Lampoon's vacation. Hey, kids, I heard about Santa Claus. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm trying to tell you guys the truth right now. God is on the move in ways you don't even know. Jesus is on the move in times you weren't even aware I'm trying to make you more aware so that when things are happening in real time, you might start enjoying your life better when you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is the good part of the movie happening right now. Some of us, we've been praying like, what we've asked for for peace is really just a boring movie when what God's doing is putting together a life of redemption that's gonna take your breath away. See, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can't miss it. When I was talking to this guy, and it was just like, hey, I, I miss those days. It's like, hey, those days are still happening. Now, like every week, we, we have like 150 microchurches. Go join one of them again. The angels, I mean, I didn't say this to him, but it's like God's still showing up and all the, he still moves. I mean, we, we, one of the brothers just got healed right there just a few weeks ago. Insert right, he's still doing it. See, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can miss it. You can miss it. To as many as call on his name, he gives them the right to become the children. To as many as received him, he gives them the right to become the children of God. There's somebody here today that has never given your life to Jesus. And you're going to get a chance today. Don't miss it. Don't miss it.
So, so why do people miss it? Is the, why, why did the Jews miss it? I, I've had many people ask. The, my children ask, Daddy, the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come, and they've been waiting, and they've been praying, and they've been longing, and they've been persecuted, and now here it is. The Jewish people are having their Messiah show up before them, and they did not receive Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach. They did not receive Jesus, the Messiah, when he came. How could they miss? They've been praying for this, and they missed it. They've been longing for this, and they missed it. They've been wanting this, and they missed it. They've been asking for this. and they, How do you miss what some of you have been waiting and longing and looking, and you could still miss it? In Spanish, we say, como? How? Well, we, we actually have the answer in Acts. It's, it's a fascinating theme in the book of Acts. We see it right here in Acts 2, or I'm sorry, Acts 5, in verse 17, it says... The high priest and his associates were members of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. Don't miss the theme here because it, let, me, let me play it out. Chapter 7, verse 9, it says, when, when, when Stephen was preaching about the patriarchs, he says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave. What they did not realize was a famine was coming. What they did not realize was that their lives would be in danger. What they did not realize is that they needed a rescue. What they did not realize is that they needed blessing. And their Messiah was their brother, Joseph. Their deliverance was their brother. And they didn't see. Jealousy will make you miss it when it's right in front of you. It doesn't end there. It's chapter 13, verse 45. We see the exact same theme, ta theme taking place. 1345 says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse upon him. These are the religious leaders that are seeing a crowd. There's something dangerous about jealousy that when you're preaching to a few and then Paul preaches to a bunch, or that when you sold a deal and you, and you made this much profit and you were happy with it, but then someone else got a bigger profit, or, or you got favored this much, someone else got favored that much, or, or you're, you got better after you know, a, a week, but someone else got healed on the spot, or whatever the favor might be, there's always this temptation to see the blessing or the favor or the goodness of God on someone else's life and to wish that was you. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. There's this theme in Scripture that even though you can't stop God, you can miss God. And there is this one vice. There is an enemy in particular. Friends, listen to me. Your biggest enemy is not your enemy at work. Your biggest enemy is not that brother or sister that's driving you nuts. Your biggest enemy hides behind your biggest, what seems to be enemies, and that enemy can be pride, envy, bitterness, and jealousy. God knows how to move your enemies out of the way. But only you can move your jealousy out of the way. It's called repentance. I, I want to say it gently, but I want to say it. There are some of us that are here today. We need to repent of the jealousy of our hearts because the lack of favor, the lack of activity of heaven, the lack of advancement, the lack of peace, it has not been what's happening on the outside. It's the envy, jealousy, bitterness, and pride on the inside. And there are some of you that need to hear this today. If you will repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to say it with a smile because this is great news. If you will repent, God will put the other things into place, 
And, and, and I know there, there's always this temptation to feel like there's only so much goodness. There's only so many crowds to go along. But Jewish people, don't you realize you've been praying for this moment all your life? This is what you've been praying for since you were two years old. You've been praying for Messiah to come and his kingdom to come, and it's now here, and you're missing it. And there are some of you that have prayed for things from God. And listen, let me just warn you, God usually shows up in a different package than you thought. Amen. It's a confirmation. Often shows up different than you thought. See, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can miss it. You can miss it. There's, there's always the temptation to, to, to like, when, when God's using someone else, like, it, like when, when you pray for someone and, and they don't get healed, and then someone else says, well, wait, I, I want to pray for them, and, and they pray, and they do get healed, there's a temptation to be like, well, I loosened the cap, you know, like, there's always the temptation to feel like, well, well wait a minute. See, what, but what if God's will for your life was to constantly be loosening the cap, right? What if you're supposed to constantly be like loosening that thing up wherever you go? Friends, listen, when your neighbor, when your coworker, when someone around you, when they get blessed, when they get advanced, when they get whatever, bless that. Rejoice in that. Your day is coming. Your season is coming. God's will will not be unaccomplished unless you hold on to your jealousy. See, if it's God, nothing can stop it. If you've got a call, nothing can stop it. But you could miss it by holding on to jealousy. I love the, the Azusa Street. We are products of the Azusa Street revival of 100 years ago. The Azusa Street revival ended up dying because, among other things, of jealousy. There were multiple fragments. I mean, there were so many things that were going on. You had white people jealous of, of an African-American that's being used. You had different factions within the same ethnic groups that were jealous that one group was getting used more than another. It's, it's amazing how the very thing we pray for can get shut down by jealousy. I've watched parents that wanted breakthroughs with their children to then become jealous when God used someone else to have their... I mean, I got to tell you, I got eight children, okay? We've got eight children. Here's my goal. I I want my children to love Jesus. And at times I've tried to instruct them and they don't seem to be listening. And then they go to youth group and one of their youth leader tells them something and they come home from youth group. And like, oh my gosh, dad, the youth leader said something. And I'm like, he got that from me. He got that from me. Plagiarizing. I'm like, what the heaven's going on here? What's going on? And, but, but here's the catch. If what I want is for my child to love Jesus, I don't care if it happens in a box. I don't care if it happens with a fox. I don't care if it happens with a bear. I don't care if it happens in the air. I don't care if it happens anywhere. Just bring Jesus to my family. Sam, I am. That's all I got to say. Some of you are very learned in your reading, I can tell. See, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can miss it, which is why what I want you to do is to stop missing it and just say yes. In verse 41, we get it here toward the end of this passage. When his speech persuaded them, they, they called the apostles in, they flogged him, they ordered him not to go out and speak in Jesus' name, then they let him go. Then the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And I love the name. And at Greenhouse, we want to be about the name, the name that's above all the other names. I, I know I already 
said it, but I want to say it again. There's only enough room for one hero in this church or this kingdom, and his name is Jesus. It's not Mike Pats. There's way better pastors in this city than me, probably on this street than me. God knows there's churches on this street. There's way better churches in Gainesville than Greenhouse, but there is no, there is no name like the name of Jesus. I've never heard someone speak any name when they were woken up at night and they were tormented by spirits that came. I've literally talked to some of you in our church when you couldn't say anything, you felt like you're being choked and you said one name and peace came and the room cleared out and that name is Jesus. There's only one that's worthy. There is one name that's above all. It's above. It's above all the names. It's, it's, it's higher than all of them. It's the name of Jesus. You know, I like, I like watching YouTube clips of NBA players sometimes. And, and I like when NBA players will show up at a park like in, in Los Angeles. And you'll just have an NBA star. And especially if you're really good at, at kind of balling out in the street or whatever. What everyone doesn't realize is that NBA stars are so much better than all the rest of us. So some of you are like really good at basketball here. If you played, and these NBA guys, they, they'll just like drop off. They'll, they'll just walk in. Someone's like, hey man, let me take this guy. That doesn't look so hard. Especially when you've watched, like you'll see Steph Curry and then you see this guy and Steph is better than his brother Seth, let's say, you know, by, by this much. But then what you don't realize is that the guys on the streets, even the good guys, they're way down here. And it's really humbling. Go check it out. Really humbling when you watch people that were really cocky, really arrogant, better than everyone else in the whole county. And then they play one guy in the NBA and he crushes them. It's utterly humbling because the distance between the great players in the NBA and the decent players in the NBA is like this, but the distance between any of the NBA and all the rest of us is like this. What I need you to understand is this. David does not have courage against Goliath because he's just so prone with his Enneagram type to be an Enneagram 8 challenger where he's going to go and challenge any of those that rise up against. And so in his challenge, he was anger, angry. And his personality profile led him to become that. What, what happened with David was that David saw clearly. David saw, wait a minute, I am five foot four and Goliath is nine foot tall. There is six and a half feet between me and Goliath. That's a big distance. However, I love it in Spanish, sin embargo. It's a very strong sin embargo. However, the distance between Goliath and God, it's not three feet. It's not four feet. It's not 10 feet. It's infinity. David was not courageous because David just worked himself up. Because this is what I see us doing sometimes. Come on, come on, try harder, try harder. No, no, David, David wasn't trying harder. David was seeing clearly. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. David, I want, I want you to see clearly. See, I want you to say yes. That when Jesus comes and asks something of you, I want you to say yes. When he says go out to Solomon's colonnade, even though this may lead persecution, I want you to say yes. Yeah, but I could go to jail. Yeah, but I could send an angel. Yeah, but a demon could come against us and now put down the demon. Yeah, but I could have my enemies rise up. I could lose my job and I could give you a better job. Yeah, but that could get me in trouble and I could get you out of trouble. There's nothing that God cannot do. The next time God moves on your heart, say yes. This week, you're going to wake up one day, some of it at 5.30 in the morning, and some of you will be like, I didn't know 5.30 came twice a day. <laughs> and at 5.30, you're going to have this thought, I should get up and pray. Some, I need to do some extra praying this morning. And then you're going to say, well, I'll wait for quadruple confirmation. But that's not how God works. The way God works is when he moves on your heart, God is not the SWAT team that barges in. He stands at the door and knocks. 
You got to let them in. See, you can't, if it's God, you can't stop it, but you can't miss it. So if he wakes you up at 5.30, just get up. Don't say, well, I'll just pray in my bed. No, you won't. <laughs> get up. Get out of your bed. Get on your knees. I got a hard floor. That's how you stay awake. Someone's going to be driving this week, and you're going to see some guy on the side of the road asking for something, and, and you're going to have one thought. The first thought's like, oh, man, go get a job. And your second thought is, oh, that's right. The church gave me this blessing bag. Oh, that's right. And then you'll have this third thought, like, oh, man, I need to add something to the blessing bag. And, and you're going to realize that you had just bought, like, I don't even know what the names of the designer waters are, you know, like, whatever it's called. Like, you know, we'll just call it, like, eternal water or something like the $6 bottled water. And, and something in you is going to say, give your $6 bottled water with the blessing bag to the dude. And you're like, but can we go back to the first thought where I said go get a job? And now I'm on your third thought? And, and because, watch, when it's God, what, I, what I'm letting you know is when it's God, it will always be worth it even when it doesn't make sense. You're going to be in a meeting and you're going to have this little thought that you're supposed to share your testimony with someone and you realize this could get you in trouble. But everyone else has shared, God knows they've shared their testimonies about the crazy things they did this weekend and, and the crazy things they've been a part of. And you've got this thought in your mind like, what, what if I tell them about what Jesus has done in my life? You're like, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to push my, push your what? Like you're not pushing you, you're pushing him, right? God knows people are pushing a whole bunch of other things. And you're like, I could lose my job. And you could. But wouldn't you rather keep a job that God wants you to have than to have a job that God was trying to get you out of? Right? Or you may be in a, in a spot and, and there's some coworker and they start breaking down in a meeting and, and everyone's left and they're still sitting there and you have this thought and you already know that they don't believe like you believe. And, and by the way, you're no better than them. And you know that you're no, if you follow Jesus, you know that you're saved by sheer grace. You can't look down on anyone but you see them and they feel alone and you know they don't even believe in God, but something in you is like, why don't you go ask them if you can pray for them? And you're like, oh, Lord, mm, mm. what would that be like? Well, what it might be like is that when you do, the angels might be active and when you do, the spirit might start to move and when you do, the person that does not believe in God will feel the peace of God and now they're gonna have to say, what meaneth this? Amen. Well, all I'm trying to say is the next time God moves on your heart, say Yes. You might see a single mom in church and something in you says, give every dollar in your wallet or purse to that single mom. Maybe someone's supposed to give a car away to somebody. Maybe someone's supposed to go and take a day vacation to go and help one of the foster fam fostering families in our church. Like, you know, I'm just going to take a vacation day. Every year I'm taking a vacation day to go and help one of the families that's given themselves to help foster kids. And, and you're going to help with that. Maybe that, that little thought gets in your mind. When God moves, I just want you to say yes. Because you can't stop it, but you can miss it. And I don't want us to. I want to be a church full of people that if God's looking for someone to use, he knows who to ask because we always tell him yes. The Welsh revival was an amazing revival that happened in Wales. The guy that got used was a guy named Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts, he went up to his vicar. He wasn't the preacher. He went up to the vicar, this priest. He said, hey, could I share a little something? And he's like, oh, yeah, but you could do the afterglow. So there was like the main church service, and they had what's like an afterglow, kind of like an after event, preaching 2.0, the next, the next batch of preaching. Evan Roberts, get, hardly anyone stayed. There were like 16 adults that stayed, but out of 16 adults, uh, there, there were 16 of them that they came up to the front when he gave an altar call. They knelt down. They confessed Jesus as Lord, confessed him as king, repented of their sins, and they got up forgiven and changed and saved and free. 
The next night, they did it again, and, and some more people did the same thing, and, and the, the, the vicar gave them the, the after event, you know, the, the afterglow. By the end of that week, there were all of 60 adults in this village that had bowed their knees and confessed with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, turned to Jesus, and their lives were being changed. Now, 60 was a lot, but it's not a big deal in a whole nation. The papers, though, heard about this, and they asked Evan Roberts about this, to which he responded... I believe you are watching the beginnings of a great revival. And I need you all knowing your pastor is praying for a great revival in our land. I want a revival. And they said, yeah, but there's so few people for such a great country. And he said this, it was not the number of those who responded that makes the difference. It was the quality of their yes. And I don't know who is in here today that needs to say yes to Jesus about something. I'm just calling us to say yes. And when we do, I want you to understand that the the basis of our yes is that if it's God, you can't stop it. If it's God, it cannot be stopped. It can, however, be missed. If God wants you to deal with your jealousy, your envy, your bitterness, your pride today, I, I, I humbly ask you to just call, just go ahead. All of us have. It's, it's all of us. This is all of us. When someone else gets used, lay that down. But then when God says, I want something of you, say yes. Just say yes. Because at the end of the day, he's the one that said yes to us. I was watching The Chosen. I had just been reading that passage in the Gospels where a leper came up to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's a fascinating story because leprosy was the kind of thing in Judaism that was more than medical. Of course, it's a medical condition. It's an infirmity. But interestingly, the the Bible, actually the Jewish people, they would send sick people to doctors, but lepers they sent to the priest because leprosy was seen as more than medical Leprosy was seen as a curse in and of itself. Leprosy was the ultimate stigma, the ultimate curse. You weren't just contagious. You weren't just needing a little bit of social isolation. You were absolutely and utterly forsaken and cast out, which is why lepers, the first words that they had to say, when anyone got near them, you never would approach somebody. But if anyone got near you, you'd have to say, unclean, unclean, for 60 feet away. Unclean, stay away, unclean. I'm not worthy to be approached, which is why it's a big deal when a leper came to Jesus and he approached him and then he bows down. Down. Of course he bows down because he's making a move that would get you stoned and killed. Jesus' response could have easily been what would happen many times when someone could rightfully be killed and get their, their cursed self out. They're not just sick, they're cursed. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, which is why it's a wild story that takes my breath away when Jesus reaches out and touches him. A man that would not have been touched probably for decades. Before he even says a word, he touches him. And up until this point in human history, whenever someone's clean and they get touched by the unclean, the clean gets contaminated. If someone's got COVID and someone else doesn't have COVID and they kiss, it's not like the, uh, the, 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 the healthy one stays healthy. The contaminated always contaminates the healthy. That's how things work in this world. And then Jesus comes. And up until now, when the clean touches the unclean, the clean gets dirty. But this time was different. 
because this was God. And when Jesus touches him in response to, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I love these words. I'm willing. And I don't know who needs to hear this today. If you're like, Lord, if you're willing, you, <laughs> all these skeletons in my closet, you can get me past this. I am willing. Hallelujah. Lord, if you're willing, you can wipe my sins out. I am willing. Yeah. Lord, if you're willing, you can, you can put my family back together. I am willing. Lord, it, Lord if you're willing, you, you can get, get my marriage back. I'm willing. Lord, if you're willing, you can do something with my child. I am willing. God, if you're willing, you can give, my, give me a sound mind again. I am am willing. Lord, I've got so many doubts. I've got all these doubts in my mind, all these doubts in my heart. Oh, I'm just, I'm in, I, I've got this much faith, like just a barely any faith at all. I am willing to take your barely faith at all and to do something with it. Well, well Lord, how can I know? Because he's going to go up on a cross where he goes on a cross and he says yes to us. When we were saying no, 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 he says yes, yes, yes. He goes on a cross, pays for our sins, wipes out the curse. The reason he can touch a cursed leper and heal him is because he was going to touch a bunch of cursed lepers and rescue us. And then he rises from the dead. He's alive forevermore and you can trust him. If it's God, you can't stop it, but you can miss it. But I don't want you to. So when you leave today, I pray you'll say yes.